Getting Roto PGA Podcast. I'm Logan Hitchcock, back in the host chair after a few weeks off here. I'm alongside Christian, the Bird, the Albatross, and Drew Dinkmeyer as well, here to talk about the AT&T Byron Nelson, the 2017 AT&T Byron Nelson, which takes place in Irving, Texas at the Four Seasons there in Irving, uh, Las Colinas. It is a, uh, man, it's actually a, a pretty good field. You know, we're coming off of the Players' Championship. Um, we, we have a lot of really nice names to sift through, though. Uh, a par 70, 7,100 yards. Um, a, lot to, a lot to talk about. Some interesting things to digest in terms of, you know, lineup construction and everything, which we will get to here. First, though, guys... Um, how are you feeling uh, about the golf season? You know, so far in the past few weeks, uh, golf in particular has been pretty kind to the albatross projections. Christian, how have you felt uh, about the last few weeks of golf here? Yeah, well, first of all, I love how we start our pods by asking each other how we feel. I think that's actually very underrated and important because um, I don't know if I could start the pod talking about Dustin Johnson every time, right? Um, but yeah, I feel I feel great. Um, yeah, it seems like every we we have at least one person winning every, like all the money every week um, in the last few weeks, which is which is awesome, and I don't think sustainable, but like it's great to see it happen and like you know enjoy this little, little run that the team is on. Yeah, nice yeah. little nice little humble brag there, um, Drew. I know you in particular have had um, great success recently here, so congratulations to you for that. But any thoughts initially? Um, on this on this week and you know the the projections in general here yeah i'm pretty excited about this week in general i think this this type of field is one that i think really benefits albatross's projection system because it's very top heavy so the fields that at the bottom of the field there's a lot of kind of shaky players that a lot of people might not know a lot about i feel like that's where the albatross projections really shine quite a bit so i'm excited about this week i've done a lot of my work a lot earlier in the week than I usually do uh, using the Tableau that Drewby has has posted on Twitter. We've actually put that on our site now. Um, it's available to see there under strokes gain trends. And I've been using that along with the projections to really kind of hone in on the types of plays that I'm trying to make in the higher stakes GPPs. It's been successful for me there. Shout out to Philly Dilly who finished like first, second, third, fifth, seventh in the dog leg last week on uh, the heels of the Rafa Cabrera Bayo. Uh, albatross which was cool so an albatross mm. subscriber winning on an albatross was always fun um but yeah i'm super excited for the byron nelson i think you know i know a lot of the pga tour pros don't love this course but i think it's a pretty good event we've got enough top end talent to get excited about watching uh the weekend yeah this is one of those events too where we kind of get back to that um you know that format that we're used to or that we are thinking of from a, a DFS a PGA DFS perspective where we're getting 156 players in the field you're getting the top 70 and ties you know to make the cut so uh, a little bit more traditional when we're thinking about like cut sweats and stuff like that it just it makes for some uh some more interesting and some more fun, you know, sweats as we work into the weekend. And now, you know, you've got weekend golf as well. There's there's a lot going on. Let's uh, let's talk about though before we get into um, some of the actual players. You know, uh, you guys were discussing a little bit before we actually started recording um, some interesting strategy that you know might be available there because of some of the weather. This being played in Texas, a spot where we're always kind of getting this moderate 
gusts uh, of wind and so far um you know that's what we're kind of expecting to see in the forecast some some potential winds at certain times even maybe some pop-up rain uh christian i know you were talking about a particular you know strategy you might be employing or maybe not employing um uh, if the weather you know if you don't deem it uh, actionable enough what, what are your thoughts on kind of the weather forecast that you're seeing so far yeah, from what I see right now, just going on Google and looking at Irving, Texas weather. Irving is the, is the city this term is played in, in Texas. Um, it looks like towards the end of both days, so Thursday and Friday, um, you see like the wind you know, climbing up anywhere from like 3 to 7 degrees from like the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And so the way these tea times come at us, they're not fully symmetric. It's not like you know the first person who starts um, on Thursday will be the last person to tee off on Friday. It's like it kind of works in this wave system where like if you tee off early on Thursday, you'll be in the late wave on Friday, but you'll be in the beginning of the late wave. And so like, there's a little room to possibly go slightly heavier on the guys who are early in both of the respective waves because they get like the, like the kind of early tea time on both days. Um, but then like, well, if like weather happens and, and rain, you know, it starts raining and then they might have to have, you know, I think like Thursday, it could rain towards the end of the day, seem like 6 PM type situation. And if that happens, then those guys might tee off early on Friday anyways. So like, that's kind of another thing you want to think about. Um, but it's not like there's a monster. I'm not seeing a monstrous amount of edge to looking at weather. Um, but definitely our, our motto on weather is, like, don't play weather games unless you're going to check on Wednesday night. Drew, is there anything here that, that you see uh, maybe a little bit differently or that um, you've, you've even maybe taken advantage of in the last few weeks here um, that can speak to the kind of the correlation of tea times or anything to do with the weather that you see as actionable this week or kind of just riding, um, you know, riding along the projections regardless? So far, I don't see anything that's actionable. But like Christian said, I'll be checking late Wednesday night to kind of deem my strategy there. I know Two weeks ago when I won the Club Pro, it was a week that a lot of people thought was going to be a very specific wave stack that was going to benefit. And I actually agreed with that. I, I organized most of my tournament teams around that wave stack, but I did make one team to be the exact opposite wave stack just in case the weather was was totally neutral. And I thought I'd get in, uh, inherently lower ownership because of it as a result. Um, and that kind of worked out to my favor. So it's one of those things where monitor kind of the news on Twitter as well and what people are talking about. If people are talking about weather a lot, try to make a judgment on how much of an impact you think it's going to have. Because sometimes you might see a situation where they're talking about weather a lot and there's not really a lot that's going to separate you know, the, 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 the waves. And in those cases, you might just get naturally uh, deflated ownership on the wave that is not the wave people are focused on. Okay, awesome. Um, before we actually move into some of the, the plays here, some of the top projections as the Albatross projections are now online at dailyroto.com where you can find those. And uh, as Drew, you had mentioned the, the Trablow, or I'm sorry, the Tableau stuff, courtesy of Drewby there. You can find that as well on dailyroto.com. Um, I did note that this is a par 70, a 7,100 yard course. Christian, is there any one particular, like, uh, this is a really default, stupid question that gets thrown out there every single week. But is there is uh, like a, a type of player that is deemed you know the course fit type this week, um, or is that something just to, to completely disregard? Um, I mean, I see like seemingly a disproportionate amount of shots coming from like the one fifty one seventy five range. Um, so like 
you know, if if you have a hunch on any guys that are, you know, super, super, super strong. I mean, usually there's a lot of shots from there. So, like, every course has a ton of shots in there. This one has disproportionately more. I'm seeing around, around so basically 12 approach shots from between 150 and 200. Um, and most of that being, you know, around 150 and 175. Um, usually it's a little more spread out than that. So if you know someone super good with, let's say, what, I guess the pros are hitting, like, eight irons from there, or, like, you know, mid to low irons from there, um, perhaps, but, like, nothing that, like, makes me really, like, yeah, I'm all about this guy because of this, you know? I think that would support bombers a little bit because those bombers are most likely going to be hitting those from, like, the 100 to 125 range. And as a result, they're probably hitting wedges. So I think there's something there where if the majority of shot buckets are probably coming from more of a mid-tier, there might be a little bit of an edge to the longer drivers just to be getting more wedges into pins. And I know historically, you know, some of the bigger hitters have had good success at this course. I know DJ's, you know, great all around. Tony Finau and his two starts has been pretty good. Jason Day is a longer hitter. He's been pretty good, but he's obviously just very good in general. Kepka has had some success here. So I think there might be something to... You know, there's always a little bit of an edge to distance, um, but I think there might be something to that with a lot of wedges uh, lo- looking in and pins this this weekend. I'm yeah, glad. And also, one other oh, thing. Sorry, uh, one, one thing I wanted to add. Sorry about that. Uh, one thing I want to add is that it's you know seventy seventy one sixty six seven thousand one hundred sixty six yards, but it's a par seventy, so you have two par fives, right? And that's like not that's that's abnormal basically. And if you want to basically want to adjust the dis- compare the distance here. Like the effective distance to a normal par 72, you have to add like 200 yards per par five that you're not adding, or maybe 250 or something like that. So this really becomes a super long course, and you think about it, right? This more is playing like a 7600 yard par five, par 72. Um, so I would definitely then kind of agree with Drew's comment about bombers. Okay, let's talk about some of those guys. And Drew, I'm glad that you brought up Brooks Kepka, a player who has been. Um, man, off and on in the limelight uh, for multiple reasons here for for not only the PGA DFS community, but also uh, with us here at Daily Roto and the Albatross Projections. He's a guy who lost in a playoff last year to Sergio Garcia. And when you look kind of at the top range, the top spectrum of golfers in terms of pricing, like this range from 9000 all the way up, uh, you get guys like Kepka and Sergio Garcia. And one of the interesting things about this tournament so far and the, you know, the projections here online, Christian, is that we're not seeing a lot of these guys uh, project as super great values. Do you want to uh, speak to that at all, Christian, and, and maybe point out why you think that a guy like Jordan Spieth a guy like Jason Day, those guys are, you know, reaching out as the lone positive values in that range. Yeah, so I guess I'll just kind of brief you all in, uh, everybody who's listening to the pod, on how we calculate value, right? So value, the, the in other sports, right, like in basketball is a really easy sport to calculate value, and, you know, you kind of look for like a 4 or 5x, like a multiple of salary. Whereas in golf, like, since the field strength changes every single time, um, you you really like well what's what's a seven k golfer supposed to do for me? That notion changes as like the strength of the field changes, right? So if you have a field that's like really top heavy, which seems like the field we have right now, where you kind of have like you know you have a few few superstars, and then you know kind of towards the bottom it looks a little bit suspect, right? Um, that's going to change like how relatively important certain guys are. So like if I know that like. You know, I could certainly get a 7K Hudson Swafford, a 6900 Hudson Swafford, who I think I have worth 60 points. 
um, that's going to really change like how what I expect from the guys at the top of the range, right? So because of how roster construction works, um, and in that sense, like even though you know I have DJ as a negative three in value, like it doesn't mean he's a bad play. It just means that you know based on a linear assumption of points versus salary. Um, he's kind of under the curve as opposed to over the curve, right? Because somebody who's priced at, you know, 12.5K, um, I'd expect more from, even though he's super fittable in my lineup and even, even you know, possibly a very, very good play at that price point um, because you can fill out your cap uh, or save cap with these lower-priced guys. Okay. Do you uh, have thoughts as to why Spieth and Day uh, are these guys that are the loners up there? Um, any reasons that those guys in particular um, stand out? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, if, if you believe that, you know, Spieth's kind of recent nonsense is, is more or less just noise and he's still Jordan Spieth, then, then you know, getting him at 10-8, I know if I have him five points worse than DJ and he's, you know, priced, what, one point seven less than him, then like he's a better play than Day. If you think that really DJ's, you know, ten points better than Spieth, then like yeah, you should probably play DJ. Um but like yeah, I mean if you give me Jordan Spieth at that price, I still think he's really good. And I think that, you know, you gotta kinda count him in to win any event. Um and not just win, but to, you know, just overall have a really high expectation. Drew, any uh thoughts on this on this highest range? You kind of coming away with the same takeaway for the guys at the top with the speed and the day and the, just the pricing discrepancy from, you know, the, the DJs uh, being so great there. So my first instinct when I saw the pricing this week and I saw kind of the, the low end of the, the playing field, I thought DJ looked really cheap. I thought day looked really cheap. I thought speed looked a little cheap were my first three takeaways. And part of that with DJ for me is just you, you look at the strokes gain stuff and it's been so incredibly consistent. And I feel like there's enough value that it's not that hard to fit him in. So this is actually a week where I might have a lot more DJ. Like I usually kind of limit myself to the top guys in like the 35 to 40% range. And I try to spread it out. So I have chances of winning the tournament with multiple top guys and take a little bit stronger stances for me on the mid tier and lower tier guys. But my first instinct was this is a week that I might just have a lot, a lot of DJ. Uh, Day is the guy that I think is going to get under-owned relative to where he should be. And I actually liked the way Day played last week. He kind of gave, gave away a bunch of strokes on the last few holes of the final round where he, you know, he had nothing to play for and he was kind of pin-hunting on tough holes. And I think if you looked at the first like three rounds of how he played, he played really, really well. His mom's back in Australia, so she's not she's no longer in the U.S. He's not having to have the the cha- the challenge of you know trying to care for her after um, going through chemo and different things like that. She's reportedly going to have a full uh, recovery uh, from the procedure. Actually, I'm not sure if she's going through chemo. I shouldn't say that, but from the procedure she had, um, she's apparently on track to have a full recovery. So I think that whole burden is sort of lifted from him. And at 10, one, the idea that Jason day would be priced below Brooks Kepka and meaningfully below Sergio Garcia is surprising to me when I consider like the overall talent of these golfers. So day is a guy that I'm really intrigued at this price tag in this field at 10, one feels very, very cheap. I don't know that it, you know, you need to go there in cash necessarily, but I think in tournaments, he's probably the best play of this entire group for me. Christian, is there a player in this range um, that you think is just like absurdly either 
disgustingly highly owned uh, or just very, very lowly owned that you'll grab exposure to because of it? Is there one guy that might stick out to you um, that feels like that? I mean, amongst the top four guys, like, I think that Sergio's price is too high. Like, does anyone really think he's a better player than Spieth? Like, I know he just won the match. He's doing very well recently. But we have so much information as to how good Sergio is at golf. It's not like he's all of a sudden going to have his best years at 40, like David Ortiz, right? Like, um, you know, in that case, like, I, I lean to, to play less Sergio just because, like, you can play Jason Day and save 900 bucks. Nothing you need to save um, on this slate, but, like, it does open up fitting in maybe, like, a few of the, the guys in the AK range that I really like. Okay. So the, the Sergio fade, and then I like Day a lot, just like Drew said. Yeah, I think Mike Leone might be one of those guys where you'd have to at least put up a, a fight on whether or not Sergio is better than Jordan Spieth, just yeah. because of the affinity that he has for Sergio for so many different reasons. So, Serge, um, I yeah. will say, I will say this: if you're into the recent form stuff, Sergio's recent form has been incredible, and it shows up in that tableau stuff. He's adding strokes off the tee and on approach pretty much consistently throughout, and Spieth has kind of slipped up the last two events that he's played. Early in the season, he was just dominating with strokes gained approach, which is really not like Spieth. Usually he's gain, gaining a lot of strokes around the green, especially with the putter. But he was just dominating with strokes gained approach. And like the last four events, basically, he's or the last three events, um, not counting the Masters where we don't have stroke level data, you know, the Shell Houston Open and the Players Championship, he was both giving up strokes uh, on the approach shot. So in terms of form, I think Sergio is probably in better form, but I think you're paying the premium on Sergio for that form. Okay, let's move to a different range, guys. I know there, there are not many players in that top range. We did just get to hit on a bunch of them. Um, so we'll just slide down to kind of like this mid to upper tier. Where we start in like the 8,000s and work our way up uh, to that $10,000 range. Uh, Christian, I'll throw it to you first. I know there are a lot of guys in the projections that are going to stand out, uh, so I don't necessarily want to single on one uh, just yet uh, from you know myself questioning you. But is there one player in like this eight thousand dollar to ninety nine hundred dollar range? I know it's a big range. Is there one guy uh, or a couple guys that you really really like? Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that stand out as great values, but is there are there any guys that? you think are just way better uh, in terms of value than the rest. Yeah, I mean, I think that I kind of have a, a quadrant of guys in my head, but um, one of the guys that I basically never play, um, and this week just looks really, really great at this price tag, is Snedeker. Um, I mean, slightly shorter hitter than, than you'd expect from someone you're paying that tag for, but, I mean, still, dude, like, Snedeker, 84, when, like, I was, you know, fading him all the time at a 10, you know? Like, I'm kind of happy to, like, finally play this guy. Um, so he's he's a guy that really sticks out for me, that range. Um, and then kind of a more recent form guy who's just been doing a lot, a lot better lately, um, Russell Henley at 8-3 also looks pretty sweet to me. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you didn't say Matt Kuchar, uh, just because I feel like every single time I'm on the pod with you, we get into some little uh, thing about Kuchar. He does rate as an excellent value, though, as well at 8,700, just above Snedeker and Henley. Uh, Drew, any of these guys in this range that you know caught your eye initially um, for whatever reason? Yeah, so for uh, a little bit higher for tournaments more so than cash for me, but Patrick Reed, his, he's been gaining strokes on his approach shots the last two weeks, and I know he had that comment a few weeks ago where he said something like, 
you know, 10 of the 11 clubs in his bag um, in terms of the, the irons. He, he couldn't, he didn't, he didn't feel like he had control over like 10 of the 11. And, and then he felt like a few weeks ago he had started to gain control of most of those clubs. So it's starting to show in the data. Um, 9,400 is a, a bit pricey for this field for me, but I'm going to have some exposure in tournaments. And Finau, who I know missed the cut last week, if you looked at his tableau stuff, he still was gaining strokes off the tee and on the approach. He was just an utter disaster on the greens last week. Um, and if he's priced up, so again, more tournament for me. In that 8K range, I think is where I'm like looking for more cash game options. I agree with Christian that I really like Henley. Snedeker did withdraw last week with a hand issue. Uh, he said it was precautionary, so I'm hopeful. Like the week before that he played, he actually he played really well from a strokes gain stuff. He was gaining at the at the heritage pretty consistently from approach and off the tee. So I'm probably going to have more of my Snedeker exposure in tournaments just because I don't know what the injury situation is. But I do like that price tag quite a bit. Henley's the guy that I like most in this range for cash. Uh, Kucher has been weirdly inconsistent with his approach shots. He had like three weeks in a row in the, in the middle of the year or in the middle of like February, March where he was losing strokes. Then at the heritage in Valero, he played well in the masters. He obviously played well. Then he was, you know, he lost a bunch of strokes on the approach shots this last week at the players. But I think 8,700 is a pretty good price on Kucher. And if you were going like double up in this area, I think he's a guy that would be in consideration for me. But Henley is the guy that I like most in this area, most consistent form, gaining strokes kind of across the the the, uh, the subset. And then the biggest thing for Henley is we always think of Henley as this incredible putter. He actually hasn't been getting strokes of late putting. He's been getting most of his strokes on drives and approaches. So I like that for Henley. Uh, if the putting comes into form like it usually does, I think there's additional upside there. Hey, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but just from a, like a, a narratively driven thing in my mind, for whatever reason, is Charlie Hoffman like a, a, a typical does well in Texas guy, or is, is that something I'm completely making up? That's the narrative around Charlie. He does have a, a top 12, a T2, a T8 in his last three starts here. Um, a few cuts missed uh, beyond that. So he has done recently well at this course as well. But yeah, that's usually the narrative of Charlie Hoffman that he typically does his best work in Texas. Okay. Yeah, and one one name that you guys hopped over that uh, I'm always curious to get thoughts on because I really like this guy. Has no real, you know, reason to I have no real reason to like him a lot. Uh, but Jason Duffner at 8800, you know, he's priced above all those other names that you mentioned. He's priced above Henley and Snedeker, uh, but still rating as one of these guys kind of more along like the the neutral value lines. Christian, do you have any thoughts on a guy like Jason Duffner? Yeah, I mean, just 88 feels a little bit expensive just because I'm used to paying less for Duffner. Um, like, given the, the, the texture of this field, it seems like he's someone I'd have in, like, some of my tournament teams, like, a, a decent amount. Like, if I played, let's say, 10, he'd probably be in, like, one, maybe two, you know? Okay. Um, and he does have this, you know, this slightly nice tee time draw like we're talking about. So I'm seeing, like, he tees off super early. I think the earliest, or second earliest, maybe Thursday tee time. And then, so that, that sets him up for, like, a decent... Um, Friday tea time as well um, at like twelve forty. So the, that that's that's a nice positive for him. Okay. The reason he the reason he's a little bit more expensive is because he has good course history. Yeah, he's, it's always he's, the yeah. He's made he's made six consecutive cuts in each of the last six years. He won it back in two thousand twelve. T twenty four, T eight, T forty eight, T thirty three. The last uh, four bef- uh, after the win, and a T eight before that. So he's done very well here. So he's priced a little bit up because of that course history. 
I like him, but like Christian said, he's just a little bit expensive. So for me, I will definitely have tournament exposure, but then I have to figure out how chalky is he going to be because of the course history and then figure out kind of where I want to be. I like him as a play, but he might be a guy that I end up having less exposure to if the field just likes him more than I do. Yeah, I guess that's one last thing we can touch on before we kind of move to a a different range here. Uh, These players like Duffner, like Hoffman, um, do you have any of either of you guys, Drew, I'll start with you. Do you have a gauge on like an expected ownership? I know it's a really difficult thing to kind of conjure up for golf here and we're still sort of early in the week. You know, it's only Tuesday night right now, but um, anything that would, you know, lead you to suspect that these guys for whatever reason might have increased ownership, uh, those, you know, they don't, you, those are just examples, but any guys that might stand out in that, you know, kind of realm. Yeah. Duffner is the name that I've heard the most early in the week. So I'm starting to think that he'll have the heavier ownership from this group. Um, I think Henley will have pretty good ownership because he's been in good form and people liked him last week. Um, Not that he had a great week or anything like that, but I just think there's some residual carryover there. The name that I haven't heard a lot from that range is Kuchar. Um, And I don't know, maybe people just get tired of talking about Kuchar, but he also has pretty darn good course history here. And that's usually something people uh, gravitate towards. He's got, I think it's three top tens in the last six years here so i i think he's he's a fine play but i haven't heard much of him but usually that course history and usually just kuchar alone kind of draws ownership so my guess is the lowest of this group is going to be snediger because he withdrew last week and because we have had those concerns about the wrist and because if people are talking about bombers they're not going to be thinking about snediger so i think from a tournament and a game theory perspective i think snediger is going to be the the best leverage play in this tier okay yeah Let's let's move to a different tier then, where we're going to get a, a whole host of uh, positive values. When you start to thinking about your lineup construction and salary allocation, this is where we get a lot of guys um, that really generally stand out. So that's the seven thousand dollar to eight thousand dollar range, and the name at the very top uh, is a guy that always is an interesting. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a completely different name for whatever reason. Uh, Ryan Moore is at the top of the value, and for some reason I wanted to lump him in with the horrible misfortune of Ryan Palmer, Uh, but we're not going (laughs) to subject him to that. That's unfair to him because I actually like Ryan Moore a lot. Ryan Moore at 7,600, though. Christian, um, do you really like Ryan Moore as well? Are there other players in this range? It's a a huge range, so again, I'm not going to limit you to one or two guys and force you to talk about them. Uh, Are there any guys in here that really, really stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think I like Woodland 77 as well, um, pretty much equally to how much I like Ryan Moore. Um, just, if anything, I think Woodland's slightly longer, that helps. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, like, people were playing Woodland pretty, pretty like, eagerly at, at, like, 1K higher for, like, a lot, a long period of time, and I don't think he's gotten really any better or worse, and this field's, like, slightly, slightly worse, um kind of around that range and so he just really stands out as like someone who like i don't say cash game lock but like really good play and like someone that a bunch of um so he's kind of my guy in that range what about you drew it's interesting because he had that that uh terrible i think i think their their family lost twins um with Uh a miscarriage and he lost he lost some time in his game he had a withdrawal that same week i believe it was that jason day withdrew as well from the Mm -hmm. match play and his you know, since then, the he hasn't played a lot, but the, the data hasn't been great. I thought he was okay last week at the players. I was surprised, though, at like 6,800 last week, he was not owned, 
very much. So he's a thousand more expensive now, but it seems like people have been off him just because of what's been going on. So I wonder if he'll kind of get lost in this shuffle a little bit in this in this tier. I think Ryan Moore will probably be the most popular. I think relative to the skill set in this tier, he seems like the most consistent golfer of that group. You know, you've got like JB Holmes, who's kind of up and down. You've got Woodland, uh, who can, who was very consistent for a long period of time, hasn't been as great of late. You've got Graham Dillette, who you, when mm-hmm. you think of like ball striking and uh, longer course, like that's perfect for Dillette. He's been playing well of late. He grades out pretty well. I think those guys are going to be fairly popular. I think the higher sevens are going to be much more popular than the lower sevens when just kind of looking through the tier on the whole. I, I agree there, Drew. Um, JB Holmes is a name that I had kind of circled out here uh, after you know what just a, a Sunday collapse basically, um, but played pretty well last week. There are some names in here, Christian, that are near the top of the value when you sort by this price range that I would like to deem as albatross guys that are you know <laughs> maybe names that uh, maybe names that people aren't super familiar with but show up as decent values because we're you know uh, projecting their skill to be a bit better than whatever they might be priced at from week to week. So guys, for instance, that fall in this range for me this week that are you know right up here. We got guys like JJ Spawn, uh, JT Poston, uh, Ryan Blaum, and uh, like Michael Kim as well. Are you standing behind these guys this week? Are you backing these guys? Um, and if so, maybe one more than the rest? Or is this just kind of um, these are the guys to make your filler tournaments uh, with? Yeah, so I've actually done a little bit of, little bit of research. It's like, why do we always like these guys and, like, no one else does? And, like, I don't recall being, like, super, super burned. But I think of these are the guys that kind of tend to, like, make some cuts, make a fair amount of cuts, but, like, don't have any, like, super finishes. Like, you never see them, like, top five on Sunday. But, like, they kind of have these kind of consistent scores that kind of keep keep their keep their scoring average up. This week, I mean, yeah, I like them. But, like, would I rather have, you know, JT Poston at 73 or whether I have, you know, even even someone like Harris English, who I think should, I should even kind of, kind of bump down. But um, even somebody like Keegan, who is, like, you know, awful, but at 69, like, at, at a discount, like, I'd rather just rather just kind of focus on that like high six, even mid six range, than than spend on these guys. Um, in that in, you know the albatross guys in the low sevens. Okay, Drew. Uh, any of those guys, those names stand out to you? I, I'm sure you're kind of thinking the same thing that you see these names a lot, but they might not be names that are frequently talked about. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was just interesting is because I confuse these two guys all the time, but JJ Spawn and JT Poston are finally the same price tag. And it seemed like for a while their Spawn was much more expensive in delivering, and we like them both. And now they're kind of priced the same, and we still like them both. But I'll probably have more of my exposure, like Christian said there in tournament. I do like that high sixes range. I have to, you know, I have a note card right in front of me here that says never Keegan. And I'm a little bit concerned whether this note card is going to make it through the weekend because really he's really underpriced in this field relative to the the depth of the field. There's just not a lot of depth to this field and he's priced as one of the weaker players in the field. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm really torn because I think he's a really, really good play, but my note card is here for a reason. It's, it's because it never goes well when I, when I'm investing in Keegan 
Um, right around that range, you've also got Hudson Swafford, who I think is a really nice play at 6,900. One more low sevens guy that I didn't that we didn't mention, but Sung Kang has been playing really, really well of late. And he's priced a little bit up relative to kind of the other guys in that range. He's like 7,400, but I really don't mind him. I think he's a guy that I'll have exposure to um, in in tournaments and perhaps a borderline cash game option um, in that group as well. But mainly for me, I really I agree with Christian that I like the high sixes and the mid sixes. Um, just trying to figure out where line of construction is going to take me. I know our top value overall is one of Leone's favorites, Honorban Lahiri, who when you think of like a longer course, he's a guy that can hit it a long way. And when you look at the price tag, he's almost free. He's like one mm-hmm. of the cheapest golfers in the entire field at 6,400. So he's really interesting to me. I know the projections like Harris English because he used to be really good, but he's gone like full, full Bowditch like <laughs> the last like month and a half where like you look at the strokes gain tableau and it's just losing strokes massively on the field off the tee on approach so i finally i'd been playing Harris english based on his past work for a while and i finally cut him out of my player pool so i won't have any harris english another guy though right around there that's super cheap that also has not been playing well of late but i just feel like on price alone you have to take some shots in tournaments is billy horschel who's at just 6,700. And if you if you told me last year, like, who are the guys that I think Billy Horschel is around from a skill set perspective, I'd say he's probably a little bit less than a Brant Snedeker. He's probably around, like, a Ryan Palmer or a Ryan Moore. And you look at where those guys are priced, Ryan Palmer's, like, 2K more expensive. Ryan Moore's, like, 1K more expensive. And his recent form is is the reason for this. But I think it's it's a you know a situation where from a from tournament exposure alone the player just looks underpriced to me. So I'll probably have a decent bit of exposure there. Rostering Billy Horschel this year has has been difficult because uh, I really really like this guy as well. Um, haven't really met the you know the expectations at least in terms of salary that we saw earlier this season. Guy that was just like it feels consistently is sticking pins or at least in your mind sticking pins and then just missing every single putt. But I was going to bring him up as well as we shift to this price range, uh, looking at 7000 and below, where we have a bunch of positive values in Lahiri's and you know Swafford's. Uh, and he was a name that certainly I was going to ask about. Christian, uh, do you have any thoughts on Horschel? And if not Horschel, um, you know, what separates some of these guys in this range? Because there, there's a... a a lot of players that are, are nice values, but then there's just a, a big discrepancy between like a guy like Lahiri, uh, who you know is at 6,400, and then you drop down and you have guys that uh, typically might fit kind of in the same conversation skill wise, uh, but just don't you know factor anywhere near as highly in terms of value. Yeah, I mean, I think that just it's it's kind of like what you get with this kind of field, where like the guys that are let's say. Um, you know the guys that are priced in that with a six handle, right? Are either going to be like super, like reasonably good players, um, so not super anything, um, or they're going to be super terrible, right? So like, you know, Matt every six k, Bobby Gates is six point five. I've never heard of Bobby Gates before. Um, That's Bill's you know, son. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, like Charlie Belgian is seven one. He has to have some weird court history here, basically. But like that's you know Bobby White, if you remember, who T Ford some random term. I think it was like the it was like uh, it was some random term last year. Um, who's like he's like seven even. Um, basically, 
it just like when you kind of price their Vegas odds and get get to a DK price, you have like this weird mapping of like some decent golfers and some totally terrible golfers get mapped to around the same price um, because these book book um, these sports books are not super efficient um, at the lower range, and it just translates into weird DK pricing where some are going to be really good plays and some are going to be totally awful plays. Um, and I think it's just happening, especially this week, like you know, you know, in a higher to higher degree. So yeah, I mean, just don't play, don't play shitty players that are worse than seven K. Only play good players. That's a- there's a couple, there's a couple guys that I wanted to hit on in this range, Logan. Uh, if 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 you'd let me, yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. So Smiley Kaufman is a guy that I know Christian. I had asked you if you were going to do a little bit of a manual adjustment on him because he had that wrist injury that kept him out for a while. He's he's a little bit over this. He's in the seventy one hundred price range. Um, but he has had three really great finishes in a row, adding a lot of strokes gained via the approach shot, um, at least at the players he did and at the Valero Texas he did. He's very up and down uh, in, in the performance. And if you write that off to the wrist injury that he suffered, then he looks like, man, you know, this guy is right back to where he was last year when he was a really intriguing player. So it kind of comes down to what you want to evaluate that on. I'm I'm pretty bullish on him. I think he's a good play this week. Another guy in that range, just looking at Tableau stuff uh, that kind of popped to me that I was surprised by was Nick Watney, who's actually been having really, really consistent strokes gained via the approach shot of late, which is usually the thing that I'm focused on when I'm kind of trying to sit through these guys, like how many guys are adding value off the tee and off the approach, because a lot of the around the green stuff, you're going to you're going to have variance in putting and different things on a week to week basis. Uh, but Watney kind of caught my eye as a player that was adding a lot of strokes, both off the tee and uh, um, uh, on the approach of late. And then the one other guy was Nick Taylor, who's 6,900 as well. And he was like my natural potential pivot from Keegan. If I follow my note card, mm-hmm. um, he's been adding a lot of strokes of late and uh, on the approach shots and been playing really well. So he's, you know, he's one of those in, in kind of the Adam Hadwin mold, like a really good young Canadian player that had a little bit of a hype to him. And then Hadwin for a while kind of didn't live up to that hype right right away. And we're seeing this year him kind of blossom. And I'm kind of wondering if the same thing is going on with Nick Taylor, because he's been adding consistently RBC Heritage, Valero, Wells Fargo. He wasn't in the field at the players last week, but he's been adding consistently like the last four or five tournaments. He's added strokes both off the tee and from the approach shot. And I love seeing that from these cheaper guys. It makes me feel a little bit more comfortable that they're in the right form. Drew, I am uh, I'm just appalled that scrolling down through these names in the 6000s there's a, a powerful player in there at 6400 that uh you seem to you know have a, a small love affair for that you did not mention you're, I mentioned you're, Le- I, I mentioned Lahiri quickly, but not my boy no, Seamus no. Power. Yeah, exactly. Seamus. I got it. Well, I got to keep. I got to keep Seamus to myself. I can't a, let people oh, know about Seamus. <laughs> you blew Seamus, it. Seamus came came through for me win. big. Seamus came through for me big at the Olympics last year. When uh, when yes. that's that when actually you know what I was I just realized I'm a huge fraud on Twitter because I said I'm a career hole in one fader. I had the Justin Rose hole in one on a strong GPP team at the Olympics. I just realized now on this podcast, I've outed myself as a huge fraud. Fraud. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tried to give it away with a horrible pun. Uh, seemed befitting throwing it over to you there. Um, so sorry to let the cat out of the bag. But that's another guy that is kind of in that range of um, that odd range of, of player um, pricing. One name or a few names here, Christian, I'm going to throw. I'm going to spit to you. Just want to see your thoughts on guys that. I think always kind of fall in the tournament um, 
you know, in the tournament spectrum uh, from like uh, normal tournaments, but looking at this field in general, a guy like Scott Piercy at seven thousand, um, that feels that feels a little low. He he's a guy, and again, I'm, this is a little bit narratively driven and anecdotally driven in the back of my mind. But this feels like a guy that can make a lot of birdies, um, and that that price tag, just looking at some of the players around him. Um, seems a little odd. Any thoughts on Scott Piercy, or have you not gotten that far uh, yet? This yeah, time? I mean, I think I think Piercy's a guy where, like, his recent form is just not very good. I mean, in terms of at least his price is that low because, well, first of all, his price historically has been lower than I think where, like, it's been out of line with his official World Golf ranking. Um, and I think that the World Golf ranking is obviously too high at him and the price has been too low. But now I think the price might be reasonable, given that he has been low. He's missed more or less his last five cuts, right? So he had he, he missed the first three cuts. He yeah. also might have had the worst score of anyone at the players this this past weekend. I think I think I looked at one point and I think he was like eighteen over or something like that through the first two rounds. Didn't obviously didn't make the cut, and his tableau is a disaster. Like he lost it, like the 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 field size on the bars almost had to extend ah. to encapsulate all the strokes that he lost. Uh, Tita Green last week, he lost oh, yeah. 13 strokes in two rounds <laughs> to the field. Tita Green, he lost 18 strokes total to the field oh, last week. Oh, my God. He, he lost, so he was worse than Harris English last week. Yes. And Harris English was worse than the next last guy by four strokes. Yes. And Piercy was worse than English last week by four strokes. <laughs> okay, so, so I mean, like, he's not playing well. Give not playing well. Give the guy a break. <laughs> I'm going to be channeling my inner Piercy. I actually have a golf tournament this weekend. I've played one time this year so far. I'm going to be so horrible uh, and probably lose more strokes, you know, tee to green than Piercy could ever imagine uh, possibly losing. So it's going to be bad. Um, you know, that uh, that does it for, like, the the range of players. You know, we worked our way down, talked about you know, guys at each particular range that we like that project well. Uh, again, you can get the Albatross projections online at dailyroto.com. Um, but let me kind of circle back here, guys, and just ask you out front if there are any players we didn't talk about that you might have a, a particular inclination for this week or for whatever reason you really like them or you don't like them. If there's like a Ryan Palmer type guy that you just like don't like and do not want to use, uh, who is he this week? Christian, any you know any other guys that we, we didn't hit on or that you think uh, you should use, you shouldn't use this week? Yeah, see, I don't think we talked about Schwartzel. I don't think anybody ever yeah. talked about Schwartzel unless you're playing in South Africa. But I think, like, he's got a really good price there. Like, and I think that, you know, it can work. I think we have him at around two-thirds to make the cut, um, which is, like, pretty decent. Um, and, like, one of the stronger plays at that, like, I think he's priced 81. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like I like playing him. I think he's going to go under the radar relative to everybody else um, because you have so many other kind of names that are being talked about. So, um, yeah, what about you, Drew? Yeah, so Schwartzel, I think Schwartzel, uh, Benny on will get a little bit of traction because he's been playing better of late. He's been gaining a lot of strokes consistently off the tee and on the approach as well. He's just been a horrible putter all season. Um, but I think Schwartzel will definitely go low-end in that range. I think Schwartzel and Snedeker are good tournament plays in that range. I had a lot of Schwartzel last week. He was on two of my five higher stakes uh, entries, and he... Looked like he was making a charge to the cut with an eagle, and then he like double bogey two holes. He was just really volatile last week, but I think he's one of these guys that's probably underpriced. Uh, Ryan Palmer, you did mention Logan. He's his tableau looks unbelievable of late. He has been consistently adding strokes. 
um, off the tee and, and uh, on the approach shot as well. So I'll probably have some exposure there in tournaments, even though I feel like relative to his overall talent, I feel like he's a little bit overpriced, but the form's been so good um, that I'll probably have some exposure. Most of those guys in the eights, I'll have some exposure to. I think the one guy that I probably won't have any exposure to, and you know, he was so good last week, but Louis U stays in at 9,700. I just feel like you're being, that's a big ask on a price tag there. And it's also, you know, I have this theory with Louis that these these lesser events that aren't like the big time majors and whatnot that he doesn't kind of get up for in the same way. It's a totally totally narrative driven thing, but I probably won't have very much Louis this week at all. Okay, yeah, you know what, Drew? I feel like you spin a lot of these little small like theories uh, about some golfers, and they casually creep into my brain as well. I know you were. <laughs> Uh, you, I don't know if you started or you just passed along some information about Bubba and the pink golf ball to me, and I ran with that a little bit earlier this year. So. <laughs> There's some fun things to at least think about, though. Um, Christian, before we sign off here, uh, you know, give me give me the guy you think is is going to win this tournament outright. Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. Okay, Drew. Um, I mean, are you gonna just default? It, it seems that it seems <laughs> that DJ is. A very, very good uh, chance of winning this week. But uh, is that who you think wins? Yeah, I think he runs away with it, actually. I think this is going to get back to one of the, you know, the Dustin dominance that we saw, you know, about a month ago. Um, I I think he's going to I think he's the best golfer in this field. I think it's by a decent margin. I'm going to have a lot of them this week. um, And I think he's I think he's going to kind of run away with this one. Okay, unless you guys have any other things to add before we sign off. Um, I think I think we've done it. Any last thoughts, guys? I'm good. I'm blank. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening in, guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind, please uh, swing over to iTunes, leave us a rating. Uh, you know, uh, drop a review in there as well. You can also find us on Podbean at Golf. Again, thanks for listening. Good luck in all your games this weekend. We hope to catch you next week.